What's up, man? How you feeling, man? Man, you know, I could be better. You if I just jacked Loyola, man. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that, you know. But uh, other than that, man, you know, no complaints on my end. Hey, man, listen, man. I, I felt, at first I felt like I jinxed them, right? Because I hadn't, I didn't even know they were good until like four weeks ago, right? And okay, then, okay. Uh, and for your for you all that's listening to this, you know, when it when it releases, you know, we, we just watched U of I get killed. Uh, by Loyola uh, and, and you know Nino and I both went to U of I and you know I don't know I, I'll let Nino express, express his own relationship to U of I sports but I wasn't really messing with sports as a fan when I was at U of I I was messing with sports because my homies played there right so like we knew the boys that was playing on the basketball team you know what I mean we would hoop with them at the apartments and things of that nature so like we were rooting for the homies it wasn't really rooting for U of I because U of I wasn't really a welcoming space for people of color to keep it 1,000. We more had to do a lot of resisting and creating our own spaces of love and affirmation because U of I was toxic as hell. But, you know, I didn't even know they were good. I, I, I'm, I'm coming back from a workout. I look at my phone, and one of the homies is like, yo, they down by 10 at the half. And I'm like, I thought they was going to blow your Loyola out. Uh, and then I, I, I go, me and my sons, we turn it on. And it was full. It was a full fest, bro. It was a it was a <laughs> full on, full on concentrated full fest of uh, turnovers and goofiness. But let's get to it. You know, every week we gotta do our check in. Uh, you know, I'm doing okay. pretty well as well. I'm feeling good. Post workout, you know, you got a little bit of a high on you. Um, but let's start with our check in questions as usual. What are you proud of this week? How are you proud of yourself this week? Uh, this week, man, I'm proud that I started moving in the direction for the uh, book, man, the virtual book club that we're going to kick off, uh, I believe, what we decide, Tuesday, uh, April 16th at 6 p.m. More information will be on our social media and accounts. Um, so it'll probably be kicking off right when this this uh, recording is going live. Yep. Um, so just putting that together, man, and just starting really to walk in that vision as we, uh, you know, look to take Hill Black Man Hill to whatever levels it can go. Absolutely, man. Um and I got a similar, I'm proud of a similar thing right in that same vein, man. I'm proud of the fact that I have people around me that can help shoulder loads and that can check me when it comes to me wanting to try to do everything myself. And so yeah. having you on my ass like, yo, I can go ahead and get these things done with Hill Black Man Hill. Let me move these. Let me get this vision going. Bro, that was a relief. And, and it happened several times. So you did some things this week. Uh, my co-conspirator Steven, you know, we had one of those, we had one of those weeks, man, where it was so many, we were training so much and doing, being in front of people so much that by Wednesday, man, we were already ready to tap out. Wasn't feeling well on Wednesday. And he hit me with the, hey, yo, mm -hmm. man, you, you handle this client. We had a, like a two hour training with this one client. And then we had class mm -hmm. Wednesday. And he's like, yo, you handle the client, I got class. So that way we can divide and conquer and both of us can get some rest. So he could rest in the afternoon mm -hmm. while I dealt with the client and I could rest after the client. So like having those people around me, it, it is, man. It's absolutely love to keep me from doing the most and being hella transactional with myself and just trying to do it all by myself. So I'm proud that I listened <laughs> uh, when, when when folks like yourself was like, yo, I got it, let me run. And uh, and I'm proud that you know I'm surrounded by excellent folks that can get stuff done and, and do it uh, in a way where I don't have to worry. Definitely. Shout out to the community because, uh, you know, this is a community initiative, man. That's Hell yeah, get man. Working together. It's in the collective. This ain't about this ain't about you or I. And, you know, people will get that even more as they as they, you know, follow us on this journey and walk with us on this journey. Uh, because I think we're going to surprise you with this Hill Black Man Hill thing. You're hearing our voices now, but we're not the only black men or representations of black males. And so uh, we got things up our sleeve. You might hear some voices that are super familiar to you or some voices that are new to you. Uh, so it's never about just us. It's always about the we. Uh, which brings us to our next mm -hmm. check-in question, man. Talking about journey and being with us on our journey. What are you learning from your healing journey this week? Man, you know, it's funny that uh, for those who don't know, yesterday was the spring equinox. Um, and from a spiritual perspective, that's the that's the new year. Right. And mm -hmm. so I found myself 
uh, this past week, just reflecting on this past year um, and just looking at the amount of growth um, and the opportunities that I had to to learn, um, to 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 question, to inquire, um, and to really just evolve, right? And so uh, I really found myself very grateful, man. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in the midst of this journey, man, I don't know how. You know, for those who don't know, I was unemployed for almost all of last year. I paid off one of my credit cards last week, right? Right. And I just, man, I just sat on the couch and I was just overwhelmed with gratitude because. I don't know how it happened, but it happened, man. right? And, and, and so, um, you know, just um, just trust in the process, man. That's something that I that I really learned this week is trust in the process and um, embracing every day as an opportunity to learn and get better and grow. I'm with that, man. I'm with that. I know that that feeling you're talking about of being able to do something that in the past you would have got crunchy about. Like you'd have been like, oh my god, <laughs> right? Yeah. The fact that I, that you can you can do that thing with ease, man. That's that's a blessing. That's a blessing. Uh, what am I learning in my healing journey this week? I think it's a mixture. It's a mixture of what I said. I'm grateful for that. I don't have to do everything. I don't. Mm. I don't have to do everything, mm. and that excellence does not mean that I have to have all of my creative player exploits on 100. It doesn't mean that everything that I'm that like, I got to be the perfect at this and the best at this and the best at that, that I can achieve excellence in community. Um, and that has, that has hit me several times since you last talked. So like the things I talked about with you and my partner, um, you know, just thinking about some of the other work that we're doing um, and, and you know, how we're meeting with clients and funders and all of that. And sometimes I come into those spaces and there's this like twinge of guilt because mm. You're so used to wanting to be ultra prepared, but when you only have a certain responsibility and other people have the other responsibilities, you're prepared for what you're there to do. And so mm. I come into these meetings and I don't even know who these people really are. <laughs> I don't really know what they try to get us to do for them, but the homies do. And all my gig mm. is, all my job is in that moment is when they want to talk about curriculum or when they want to talk about the training or when they want to talk about our outputs or our coaching or results, I speak to those things. I speak to the things that, you know, I'm, I'm uniquely qualified and experienced in speaking to at a high level. And it's been wild, man, because the more that I have taken this position of letting others carry other parts of the load, what it, it turns mm-hmm. around, they come looking at me like, man, you killed that meeting. And I was like, how, fam? How, how did I kill this meeting? And I didn't even know who these people were. They were like, but when, but when you were asked what you needed to respond to, um, you were able to show up. And so I'm, I, the, my journey is proven is just showing me that I've, I have not done the best job at providing myself space, giving myself grace, and, and, and sharing mm-hmm. the load. So that's one thing that's just jumped out to me. Um, and then... Something else I'm learning from my healing journey is that it's kind of uh, contagious in some ways. You start to have folks see you healing or see you moving in certain ways or starting to build, uh, you know, really just build good habits. Because, you know, when we talk about hmm. healing a lot of times, people think that we're jumping out there and saying, like, on Monday I was I was hurt and on Tuesday I was whole. And it, it doesn't work that way. Mm. It, it's, a, it's an ongoing journey of me getting uh, mm. whole in the different aspects of my life that may have been harmed by different things. And it, 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 it comes from building good practices. And so more and more and more, man, I'm hearing people or seeing people who will see me doing things to try to get myself straight. And it's like they'll, they'll it's like we see each other. It's like they're like, yo, I see mm. you doing that. I'm doing that too. And sometimes it's behind the scenes they'll hit me with a text or they, you know, hit me on, on Instagram or something of that nature. But it's it's contagious. Like you start to vibrate towards those people that are also healing and also working towards those spaces. And it's helpful to keep you accountable and helpful to remind you that even when you fail or when you have a setback, that you're good. You can still keep going. So those two things for me have been what I've been learning this week in my healing journey that I don't have to do everything alone. Uh, and that me pursuing my own health and my own healing and my own well-being can be contagious. So it's funny you say that. You remind me of something else this week revealed to me. Um, habits are so critical, right? Yeah. Um, so I told you how I'm doing this journal. Um, it's uh, I got it from Set and Soul, I believe. Again, is a black woman started that uh, that company. Um, it's at Set and Soul, 
And the journal is on habits. And every question it asks you, what habit are you working on? And when I started initially, I was like, oh, I'm working on self-confidence because I thought that I needed to be more confident in Nino. Mm -hmm. What I now realize is the habit that I'm actually working on is discipline. I'm extremely confident in Nino to the point that I can procrastinate on something and do it at the last minute. And it'd be better than those who invested way more time and energy, you know what I'm saying, trying to prepare themselves. And so since then, it's been a matter of shifting to look at, okay, how do I better position myself to have more um, discipline? And then also reflecting in terms of how do, how, how does one, how does one's habits or, you know, for me specifically in terms of discipline translate into success and in doing the things and being the individual that I say that I am and I'm aspiring to become. Yeah. I, I told you, I used to laugh at the fact that like when I was in the schoolhouse, I, 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 I cracked the door into the schoolhouse through <clears throat> discipline and culture. And that was like my mm. first gig. I was, my first gig was a dean of students uh, at a school on the South side. Um, and as I grew and grew in my understanding of discipline, not meaning response to negative behavior or, or punishment, as I grew and grew in my understanding of discipline, meaning uh, training, how someone is trained mm-hmm. in a discipline, I started to, you know, look at myself like, oh, that's why God wanted me to do it this way, because he, he knew I needed discipline, uh, you know, and when you have when, you, when things have come easy. <clears throat> When things have come easy and you, it's easy for you to put it together and win or, you know, do that paper last minute and then knock it out the park, that we live off that. And, and we, we thrive off that sometimes, and that's not always best for us. It's not always what's best for mm. our lives. It's not always, you know, you can, you can show up and you can kill it and we'll love what you did, but it's not what's going to support you in the long run. And that's what I found for me is that I need to develop that discipline. And what happens is at first it feels like it's insurmountable. There's no way I can do it. Then I start doing mm-hmm. it and it's rough. And then eventually it's just a part of my life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when we first started doing these workouts, like, you know, I work out Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Um, I thought breaking away from my work was going to be very hard on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Now it's like, that's just what it is. I go work out. And I thought waking up on Sunday to to leave my home to go work out at 10 a.m. was going to be like, that's crazy time. Now it's just like, man, we could wake up 15 minutes before and still make it to the gym and do what we need to do. So it is once you build that capacity and build that muscle memory, man, it's, it's training, man. It's, it's, it's like ball. It's like any sport, anything mm-hmm. that we're doing, that's discipline, right? You're building your capacity to do this thing. And do it with efficacy, and you're also building your capacity capacity to critique it, to know how to do it mm-hmm. better, and you mm-hmm. have to build your capacity to give it grace. Because you know, back when we used to hoop, if you you've been working on your shot for for days, and then you get to the game and you miss four in a row. If I just say you know, f it, I can't do it. It's not going to work, and I you know retreat. Then I'm, I might not catch that catch that flame and start you know start blazing them the way I need to blaze them. So you got to just push through. And so I'm learning that part that when you know when I'm trying to be disciplined and I make a mistake, push through, keep moving, keep shooting because eventually it's going you know it's going to drop. We'll see water. All right, third yeah. question: Who are you grateful for this week, man? Hmm. It's funny, man. I, uh, this last week, I found myself um, very grateful uh, for the young lady that I've mentioned a couple of times through the course of these podcasts um, and just realizing um, the role that she has played in this journey over the course of the last year has mm-hmm. uh, definitely made me evaluate some things, um, past decisions, current decisions, um, future decisions. And so um, I'm grateful for her. Um I'm also grateful for a couple of my professors that I worked with along the way uh, when I kind of just told them the decisions that I made in terms of shifting my career focus. Everybody was like, yo, that's it. You finally figured it out and it's about to go. And so uh, I'm grateful for them because they never they never gave up on me, but they never tried to force me to go in one particular direction. So Yeah, I'm with that. I feel that, man. Uh, since we in that vein of uh, uh, women that have made an impact on this, man, you know, you talked about yesterday being um, – you know, was it the spring equinox, the beginning of the new year? I yeah. might have got that wrong, but yeah. yeah. So that's that's my mother's birthday, man. So you know, I'm grateful for my mom, uh, man. 
And and I always, you know, I always just trying to figure out. I always have narratives and themes and ways I see things. So, give you an example of that. My birthday is February twenty first. That's also the day that, unfortunately, Malcolm X was taken from the, you know, from the earthly land and moved into the ancestral space, right? And I always mm-hmm. would make the comment that he cracked the door for me, right? That he that he came into mm-hmm. eternity, cracked the door, and I slid through, you know, on on that date, right? If you think about eternity mm-hmm. circling around time, and so I never mm-hmm. put it together until like this year with you, my homie Danny, a couple people were talking about this new year connected to. Uh, connected to spring that I was like, yo, my mother is, is, is my spring, right? She's, she's like this, this moment that I grew from. And that comes back to Mm. all the things that we talk about of how we learn to treat people based in, you know, gardens and, you know, thinking about this space of growth and this space of newness that's here. And so I'm, I'm very, very, very thankful for my mother. I went and, um, in honor of that and that energy, I went and bought her a, a big ass piece lily uh and plant and took that to the crib and then you know she uh she <laughs> my mother's hilarious uh she loves blue and so you know i told her i brought her some some nipsey uh some nipsey blue uh flowers and i cripped <laughs> her out right and, and so my mom my mom a christian so she hit it with the nah i'm blood the blood of jesus and then my sister screamed <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah that's crazy you know, love to my mom in her comedy, you know what I mean? I don't want none of the uh, the ladies listening to this thinking my mom out here gangbanging. You know my mom is super duper saved. <laughs> she, she, if it was, if there was a super saiyan version of saved and it's not like obnoxious, that's my mom, right? She, she's super saiyan saved. Uh, so that ain't her world, but she definitely can crack a joke. And, and I'm just grateful for, I'm grateful for art, man. Um, you and I, we, we, Ended our podcast last time we were talking, and I went right into a business meeting with my production team, uh, and we were talking about music that we were working through. And this week, I've been feeling myself get more connected to art, uh, more connected to uh, my music again, and I'm starting to see the way out of that cloud. Like this last twelve months has kind of put a cloud on my creativity as it relates to music, um, and it hasn't put in the creativity. It's not like I, I can't do it. Do it. You know? It's, it's been this energy of like, let me focus on other ways to be creative. And so that's why, you know, the podcast have started popping and uh, the writing has started popping. Uh, because in the past, my go-to, if I felt anything, any negative dark space, any heaviness, my go-to was making beats. And mm. I done went through probably the most, the heaviest 12 months in my life. Uh, and mm. I didn't go that direction. I went other ways. And so now it's, you know, I'm back getting indigenous to myself and getting back to my music and, you know, those spaces. So I'm, I'm super, super grateful for those things. Grateful for the music, grateful for my mother. Uh, and that leaves us with our last question, fam. What you read, man? Did you get, did you get into so, that book, fam? <laughs> I, I got into it, man. But I'm going to tell you, every chapter is too deep for the intro, man. Like, like I read a chapter and then I just need to process it. And I, I honestly found myself like, okay, guy, I need someone to process this book with. Because mm-hmm. the depths of what it's saying, like, I'm with it, but I need somebody to go through it together. And I, I thought of you, so I was like, man, I might have to send it to you or uh, Lux. I was like, man, I sent it to him. He told me he's going to order it because it, it's just, it's crazy, right? Yeah, it might be, um, one, it might be one of those ones you got to talk through, fam. You got to, like, we, we read yeah, it yeah. and then we talk through it. Now, because you know what I was going to say. I was, I, I'm so glad you said Mia Lux. Because it's not like I'm judging you. I'm not want to put no no. I don't want to do no. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, no dirty Mac uh, symbols on you. You know what I mean? You are not a dirty Mac. Okay. But I was about to say, fam, you can't call no girl and say, hey, let's uh, let's let's read this book together and <laughs> learn about sex together. I thought that was your first voice. I'd be like, nah, fam. I don't know if that's gonna work. But what's crazy is I'm like I'm like five six chapters in, yeah, and it it is yet to really talk about sex on a spiritual plane. It's more so talking about the comparison between like an Afrocentric lens and a um, Eurocentric lens and how that's affected spirituality and practices. And Word. again, it's too deep. Don't even want to get into it right now. Uh, but I'm, I'm keep reading that. I just had to break it down. Uh, but this week I'm gonna knock out uh, "Freedom Is a Constant Struggle" by Angela Davis. 
Um, it's the book that she's been sitting on my desk. So um, it's a short read. I think it's a, it, it might not even be a hundred pages if I remember, man. Yeah. So I'm gonna go ahead and pump that out. Oh, I'm lying. It's 176, but it's just it don't it ain't thick like Obama book. You know what I'm saying? Obama book take you a whole semester, but um, yeah. So I'm gonna knock that out. This hey, fam, week, did you? How did about you, yourself? Did you read Obama's book, fam? No, I did not. I saw how thick it was, and I was like, "No, I'm not going." No, nah, nah, man, I don't, I don't think I'm. I don't know if I'm going to read Obama's book. I, you know, we we'll, we will talk about that in other spaces, but I don't know if I'm reading <laughs> Obama's book. It, it, I might need to, you know, get my spirit in order, and then maybe I can read it. Uh, but yo, finishing up, uh, finished up. We will not cancel us by Adrian Marie Brown. True. Fire book. Okay. It is if okay. you are doing work in a movement, if you are. Uh, supporting the healing of others. If you're doing any work involving folks uh, that are marginalized, I think it's a good it's a good read. Something for us to really dig into. Um, what I'm reading now is Finna by Nate Marshall. Have you ever heard of Nate Marshall, man? I think you told me about him. All right, so Nate Marshall uh, is a poet originally from Chicago. I want to say he's based in Colorado now, but don't quote me on that. You know what I mean? Don't come for me. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant homie. Um, we use one of his poems when we do our racial healing circles, uh, when I say Chicago. And so I'm doing, he has a book of poems called Finna. I've started the book of poems called Finna. That's part of the things of me connecting more to creative spaces. And so I'm going to knock out this book this week. Uh, you know, it is, it's, it's light, it's a light read, but it's heavy in the sense that he has a way of capturing, uh, experiences and capturing life. Uh, it's all. It's one of those one of those guys that he does poems, and you'll hit a, hear a line of the poem, or read a line of the poem, and you'll laugh, and at the same time be like, "Yo, that's dark." I don't, I don't know if I should even laugh at that part because that's a little too <laughs> real. Uh, like, I mean, from the get, like even when he's doing the, uh, you know, how people do land acknowledgments, right? Uh, okay. He does, he starts the book with a landless acknowledgment. Just, just dealing with the fact that as black folks that have been, you know, you know families been pulled into slavery that, and I, I felt them on this, that there's, there's like this little twinge of jealousy when you, when you got your immigrant homies and your indigenous and your like first gen homies and they know where they came from and they can be like, Hey, yeah, I'm from this Island or, you know, we're from here or, you know, we're from Ghana, et cetera. And so he speaks a little bit to that. They're like, you know, I don't really know. Where, where where home is and where that space is. So it's a brilliant brother. I'm going to read it. It's called Finna by Nate Marshall. Uh, check those okay. things out. What's the name of the book that you're finishing up, just so the listeners, they can check it out as well? Uh, it's called The Secret Science of Black Male and Female Sex by T.C. Carrier. All right, bet. So I got to pick that up because you're going to have me reading and talking about that one. Uh, and then, yeah, that's what we on, man. That's what we reading. So we got through our check-ins. Seems like we're in a good space this week. Uh, you text me and you were like, yo, I know what I want the topic to be this week. And I looked at that topic and I'm like, fam, that topic is like 17 episodes long. There's no way <laughs> that we're going to have a quick but conversation. I think, I, I, think, I think it sets the stage for all the future episodes, right? So I'm going I'm to tell you what triggered that. All right, hit me um, within the last couple, within the last week, I've been having some weird dreams, right? And in these dreams, I feel like I've been... I feel like I'm being taken back to places in which I did certain things, um, some of which I'm not proud of, mm -hmm. some of which was questionable, uh, some of which jammed me up um, short term, uh, fortunately not long term. And so I found myself processing those dreams when I woke up. And what hit me was every decision that I made in that moment was determined by who I thought I was. Okay. And who I thought I was was heavily influenced by who everybody else wanted me to be. Okay. And so it was like, damn, we got to talk about that, right? We got to talk about like, like, what does it mean? You know what I'm saying? You know, what does it mean as a, as a black man? Like, who are you? Right. And why is that so significant? How does that factor into like where you may be currently, uh, the direction in which you're choosing to go, decisions that you made in the past, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, yo, that, that, that's the topic. And that's when I text you, you said, let's get it. So I said, that's what it is. So today y'all, we're going to talk about, you know, identity and granted it's going to be a general overview because we got upcoming weeks where we'll break it down furthermore. But I think before we can even get to that, it really has to come down to um, what, what is black male identity and kind of what does that look like for us? 
Okay, so the reason why I say this 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 topic is seventy five episodes long is because this topic opens up so many doors. And so I think for me, the easiest way for me to begin our conversation is to break down those those words, black male identity. Um, okay. And I say that because, you know, when you're talking about identity specifically, there's personal identity, meaning um, who I am, you know, how I look, how I feel. Uh, there's the internal, you know, poor part of that psychological identity, how I feel about myself inside. And, and those things are connected to um, a lot of different constructs, cultural constructs, geographical context, political context, et cetera. So identity in and of itself is this huge space for us to play in. What makes mm-hmm. it even more uh, compelling and impactful of a conversation in my mind and, and why it's something that we're going to be tapping into throughout our time. You know, this is the Hill Black Man Hill podcast um, and, you know, being that this is the Hill Black Man Hill podcast, we, we're going to talk about what it is to be black men uh, from our perspectives in our shoes and our journeys. And we're going to capture the voices of other people uh, and their lived experience of what it means to be black men. When you add that black male part to identity, now we're opening up like these historical doors of where our blackness came from. Right. And not mm. and not blackness in the sense of that what I like to refer to as that um, powerful, spiritual, magical connection uh, to Africa and connection as as global people, you know, from like a pan-Africanist perspective, but blackness in the sense of how it was, how it was intended by those that wanted to place a oppressive narrative on us uh, and, and wanted to mute any uh, narratives concerning identity that were indigenous to us. And when we start having that conversation of black male identity, then I start hearing, I start seeing things, right? I start seeing, uh, you know, how black males are identified in in media. I start feeling things. I start feeling uh, that tenseness in my stomach when I hear, you know, police officers are looking for a black male with a particular height or particular build. Like those, I I feel all that negative energy and I know a lot mm-hmm. of that is what, you know, ultimately impacts what you're talking about. When you're talking about like someone projecting a narrative of who you are onto you or prescribing an identity to you and you feeling as if it is not indigenous to yourself and then you acting out that identity that that's been prescribed to you and, and you have to deal with the, with the result of that act out. I think a lot of it begins in that space, in that space of why was it intended or what was the intent of creating and conflating all of these uh, different cultures and ethnicities within Africa, within people who have darkened skin and melanated folks. You know, what was the intent of the folks that wanted to conflate that into just blackness? Now, we being creative mm-hmm. as we are, we took that and we said, all right, cool, you want to conflate that. We, we know our power. And we're going to make them one of the most powerful resources on earth. But that's our, we still don't, aren't sitting in a space though, particularly, you know, if you're in the Americas right now or shoot, if you anywhere that's been colonized, we're not sitting in a space where our definition of blackness is the one that governs our identity in our lives though. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in a space where somebody else's concept of blackness and someone else's concept of our identity can not only dictate certain outcomes for our lives it can also kill us you know Uh, and and i think you know to pull it back a little bit i think that you and i are fortunate where we have a little bit more understanding of like what are those external factors that have kind of contributed to black male identities um in, in various spaces um for me, it was just more so thinking about how much we may be moving with little consideration as to who we are mm-hmm. and how how we lack spaces that really allow us to explore our identity um, in a in a quote unquote safe way. All right. So, right? so this is what we do then. So for this for this talk, let's zone in. Right. Because we we on we on the big map. Let's zoom in. Okay. What we need to zoom in on is the concept of detachment from self-determination. Mm. Cause, cause, cause that, cause I believe that self-exploration 
is a stage of self-determination. Okay. Like, I got to know what I like. I got to know what tastes I like. You know, I come mm-hmm. to, me and you, we go to the restaurant. They say, what do you want off the menu? If I've not mm-hmm. explored certain tastes and certain styles of food, I can be lost not knowing what to do. And then and then in mm-hmm. those moments, we typically will look to someone with expertise, the waiter, et cetera, and say, yo, what would you, what what's taste, what tastes good to you? What would you mm-hmm. recommend, right? And so mm-hmm. I see what that exploration that you're talking about as an extension of self-determination because once I've explored and I know what is indigenous to me and what I enjoy and who I am, then I can say, all right, I know where I'm going. And I may not know the exact detail of it, but I know the direction I'm going. And then I allow, you know, the most high or I allow the collective or I allow family and love to bring the other elements that I need mm. to really zone in. But that self-exploration is a part of self-determination. And you and I know, and we won't go too deep into this, but, you know, because I want to stay in this space we're in. We know that one of the things that white supremacy and racial capitalism wants to do is extract dignity and extract self-determination. Because if it extracts mm-hmm. dignity, dehumanizes me, then it can commodify me, sell my body, whether they selling my body as a slave in a prison industrial complex, whether they selling my body as running back in the NFL, whether they selling my body as as uh, as vote in the in the in the Democratic Party, that's really what it comes down to. When you don't see me as human, then all you care about is what do you get for the exchange of my body. So it's funny, man, you know, you out here, I see you ain't holding no punches. Um, because when we talk about the athlete, you know, when I started my, my program, I was actually looking at what I said, the socialization of the black male athlete student. Mm-hmm. And I was sh- and I was I was intending on highlighting the ways in which we as black males are treated and conditioned to be athletes first and students second. Yeah. Dating back to even before school. Right. If you look at AAU, if you look at yeah. Little League Baseball and Pop Warner and you look at their mission statements and they'll be like 76 percent of blah, blah, blah started here. And so it was always like that indoctrination of your athletic ability is going to be the first thing that you can capitalize on to, you know, achieve upward mobility and get out the hood, right? Yeah. Or get out of wherever, right? Um, but I think what I want to ask you is, what is the, and, and I'll give you time to think about it if I need to answer it first. When did you realize, right? You know, you brought up self-exploration. When did you realize that you didn't know who you were and you needed to engage in that self-exploration? I, I realized it in phases. So, okay. Um, the first time I realized it, uh, it was it was based in spirituality. Okay. I would I would go to I would go to church as a kid, and for some reason, I would catch I would catch what the sermon was going to be about three minutes in. It would be so crazy, and I'm not trying to belittle these men and these women that were giving these sermons. They were brilliant, you know. I believe that the, many of them were led by God and inspired by 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 spirit and all those things. It's just, it was okay. just something that would click in me. And I remember um, my one of my elders figured it out. My my aunt Thea, she figured it out. She used to do this Bible study at this church I was mm-hmm. at, and uh, she would ask questions. And some of the adults would, you know, they would take their time processing and trying to figure out answers to them. And I just hit her back with that with the, with the answer. And so she started to look mm-hmm. at me different, right? She started to have mm-hmm. this like look in my eye, like there's something going on with you because you process this 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 stuff a little different. And so mm-hmm. it's it's you know for people that have been marooned. <laughs> When we find ourselves in a space where we see things different and we can make connections more easily than others, mm-hmm. it's another othering that happens. And in some ways, mm-hmm. if it's supported, it looks beautiful, right? So if 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 I was playing ball and they were like, yo, this kid's jumper is crazy at seven, you know, they'll support it. They throw me in AAUs, buy me shoes, celebrate it, the whole nine yards. But when you're mm-hmm. able to piece together story and teach and learn and and, and figure out like the underlining meaning of things tr- super early. There's no AAU for that. There's <laughs> no like, there's no, there's nobody throwing. It's supposed you. to be school, right? Right, <laughs> right. But there's no AAU for that. There's no like, oh, that kid's brilliant. Let us help them, help them tap into that part. And so what they do is, mm. you know, especially in spiritual spaces, they say, okay, well, we're going to keep you teaching. So I was teaching Sunday school when I was 12 or 13, bro. Mm. And I was leading youth that were older than me and my age in Sunday school at like 12 or 13. And, now that I look back at that, I see what it was. It was like my ability to process and synthesize and be creative and, and, and see theme and narrative and all those things and apply those narratives to real life. 
I, I can I have the language now to understand it. Back then, I, I was like, yo, who am I? And why does this seem so easy to me? So one of the easy things to do in those spaces is you let everybody tell you, oh, this is your gift. It's the God. It's God giving you a gift. Uh, and you don't really know, like, what does that mean? Is it is it the type of gift that I put on the shelf? Is this type of the gift that I, that I carry with me all the time and I'm always using? It's not a gift everybody wants to play with. Like when you got gifted a basketball, you immediately knew that this is something that's communal. That we're gonna go, I can hoop by myself or I can hoop with other people. When you get gifted in that space, you don't know. So the first time I realized I didn't know myself was when I started to be able to do things I didn't know I could do, right? Then there was an understanding I didn't know myself when I started to see the world differently than those that I love deeply and that were next to me. What they enjoyed mm. wasn't wasn't quite hidden for me. What I, I wanted to explore other things. I wanted to figure things out. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why my first set of locks I got when I was 16 years old. And I don't know if you know anything about St. Louis or East St. Louis in the mid and early 90s. That was uh, the wave capital of the world. You barely had cats with braids, let alone somebody talking about some, yeah, I got locks, right? Now, <laughs> if I drive you to St. Louis, it's locks from, uh, you know, the, the length of the Mississippi. Everybody got locks. Their mama got locks. Their grandmama got locks, you know. But at the time, <laughs> I, I legit had people in my community, you know, in churches and family asking questions like, are you a roster now? Are you, you know what I mean? Like a, a lot of different questions about mm. me doing that. And for me, it was exploration. It was one of the first decisions that I made that was that was that felt indigenous to me, but foreign to my context. Mm, OK, I remember going to get my logs done and I was in this spot. It used to be in Del Mar called Naps and I'm sitting there and like, you know, you smell the incense and it's, it's music vibe and is, you know, it's beautiful people moving around and they got locks. And, and I'm sitting like, yo, I feel safe. I feel seen. I felt different than I had felt in other spaces and every time I would go back, it would be that same energy. It was like, Oh, okay. I'm back with the back with my tribe in those ways. And I think that was, that was one of those real, I was like, I don't know me enough. I got to get to know me differently. And then it's, it's happened several times, you know, it's happened as a, as a father. Um, it's happened as, as a professional and, you know, you and I, we've had this conversation before that I believe that our journey is to develop knowledge of self in service of, uh, of ourselves and in the service of, our, our passions and our purpose and our families and our tribes. But it's first to, to, to explore and move towards knowledge itself. But what I've, you know, I've said to you in the past is that there is a limited knowledge of self. And, and that's why it's like, it's, it's a relationship. It's a relationship with me. Um, and, and I think the easiest way for people to see it is like, they think about like relationships with their partners, with their husbands, wives, you know, dating partners, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's easy for us to understand that concept that, hey, I've been married to this woman for 15 years, who she was when we, in year one and who she is in year 15 are, are, are different people. And I got to continue to get to know them. Right. I got to continue, continue to get to know her. It's not always mm-hmm. easy of a concept for us to digest that you've been <laughs> married to you for damn near 30 years or 30 or more years. And the person you were 10 years ago is not the person you are now. And you have to continue to get to know yourself. And, and hmm. I think that's been the realization for me. So when you ask, like, when was the first time I realized I didn't know myself? It, it, it's continued in phases. And it's always been about, uh, you know, uncovering aspects of myself that I had either muted, didn't know were dormant, were there, and they were there sitting dormant, uh, or things that have been revealed. You know, shit, going to therapy helps me know, like, uh, I don't really know myself the way I think I know myself, right? And then uh, once you get alignment, then you're like, oh, okay, I, I can see that. I can see, you know, what was it uh, this past week? I think we said in our last talk, I was like, avoidance is one of my uh, my issues. Man, if you would have asked me that eight years ago, I'm like, I don't avoid nothing, man. I'm, I'm head on. What up? You know what I mean? Like, that was the perspective I had while I'm avoiding taking care of something that's giving me anxiety, and I didn't have the language for it. So, yeah, it, it came in phases, man. Yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, I think we talked about this last week when we were talking about like we've had multiple opportunities along our lives to deal with the man in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what it was now in terms of different phases when it was like, man, I don't know me. And, and But the, the irony is I think there were these different moments in my life when I knew I didn't know me. Mm-hmm. But instead of me going within, I just changed who I was looking to to tell me who I was. Uh, right. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the first things that came to my mind was high school, where um, prior to, I think, a matter of fact, it was 
elementary school. I think they tried to put me in special ed. I have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was straight A student, but once I knock out this work, then my imagination going to do what it do. And usually that led me to get in trouble. And so they tried to put me in special ed. Um, and they tried to put me on medicine. I remember my stepdad, you know, in his, um, in his hood wisdom, per se, was like, that boy don't need no medicine. It ain't nothing no ass whooping can't fix. You know what I'm saying? So granted, you know, I got a lot of them ass whoopings. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll unpack that but, in another you know, episode. <laughs> it, definitely, right? <laughs> um, but eventually, they, they instead of putting me in special ed, they tested me for gifted, and then they placed me in gifted. And so literally, as early as like sixth grade, I remember I was always, I realized now, like, they completely changed the trajectory of my life in comparison to my peers. And so it was nothing like going to school, and I get on the bus with my homies, but when we go to school, I don't see them all day. Right. Because I'm in different wings of the school. I'm in different spaces, things that they don't even have access to. And I don't know anything at the time. I'm just doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting because when I found out I got um, accepted to U of I, I did early, uh, early admittance. I got accepted to like all the Big Ten schools, academics or whatever. And so I was like, you know what? For my last semester of school, fuck AP. I, I dropped out all the AP classes and I went to regular classes just to be with my homies. Right. And so I think, you know, it was always, you know, I think I talked about this in another, you know, recording we did about feeling like this middle child, right? Like yeah. J. Cole said, of trying to figure out, like, how do I navigate both spaces? And so now that I'm doing the work, I'm able to look back and was like, oh, so, you know, um, at that point in my life, I thought I was this because of this. And that's why I was making these moves. And then when I got to college, I thought I was this. So that's why I was making these moves. And and so, you know, when I when I got married, I thought I was this. So it made sense for me to get married at that time. And so I would honestly say at 34, you know what I'm saying? Beginning, what about two weeks into my 34th year around the sun? I feel like this is probably the most secure I have ever been in who I am. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I am not anxious to bring somebody else into this because I'm not trying to, I really need somebody to be just as secure with me as I am with me right now because I spent so much of my life with external pressure to acquiesce to who Nino should be, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you know, you definitely put that in perspective for me. Hell yeah. And I I think um, I, I would give you something to consider that, you know, I can't I can't put it on on my partner to know me as much as I'm learning me. I I, I put it on my partner to be in, in pursuit of knowing her as much as mm-hmm. you know as knowing her as much as possible. Because then what'll mm-hmm. happen is, you know, while we're both in those pursuits, we'll be learning each other and we'll be able to, you know, help serve each other on our journeys. That's the only that's the only thing I I, I would offer for that part. But it's it's real, man, and it, you are being given identity and um, the term that I tend to use in the trainings, you know, when I talk about oppressive narratives, and I think the definition I give is like oppressive narratives are are narratives uh, that are not indigenous to you, but are placed upon you, um, and it's more of it's like a colonization of the mind and of the future. And so, think about what you just said. Some some system outside of you determined that you, you know, had the power to determine or to label you as either gifted or in need of specialized student services as a, as a diverse learner, right? And I guess all of them are diverse learners, whether you're gifted or, in, or uh, have, a, a, you know, differently able. But still, that, that outside space got to tell you what you were. And mm-hmm. I'm not in any way, don't come for me, y'all, I'm not in any way saying that there's not a space for <laughs> experts to, to give us analysis. Experts need to give us analysis. And we do need guidance. You know, you need people that are aware and that have the skill to guide us in different spaces in our lives and different moments in our lives, or at least stand in solidarity with us uh, in that guidance, provide us options and provide us understanding and insight. I just think what happens is we grow so accustomed to receiving the messages mm. externally because that is how our bodies have been treated in this space that we're looking for the right external message to tell us what we need. We're like, we're looking for the formula. We're looking for somebody to be like, this is the black man you are. And then we follow their formula and then we'll, we'll manifest. The problem with that is it extracts our creativity and our authenticity mm-hmm. because if I'm looking for your formula to validate who I am, I'm really just duplicating you. I'm not really figuring out what my secret sauce is that I bring to this world because I'm so busy trying to put somebody else's clothes on. And, you know, 
that ain't that ain't gonna get you ready for the Goliath that is white supremacy for real. That's not gonna get you ready for that Goliath when you're putting on the king's robe. I would I would argue. I would argue otherwise. I think it does because you think it, pre- it preps you for, you for it. your it preps you for your role in the yeah. slaughterhouse. Right. right. Okay. It, don't, it doesn't prepare you for that innate voice inside that be like, nah, this shit ain't for me. Nah, you need to go a different direction. Nah, do it like this, right? Because I I think that's that battle where you go through that self exploration. Yeah. Um, what I'm learning in my personal journey, <clears throat> so to give, and I'll tie it into my career, right? I never wanted my PhD. I didn't even care about grad school, to be honest. An opportunity presented itself. I was working at the Boys and Girls Club. I was broke. I said, this ain't the move. Door open. I walked in the door. Mm-hmm. I got in the door, and initially I was looking at blackmail. Initially I was looking at hip-hop as a social movement. And it's like, hey, how do we use hip-hop? to, you know, um, get the people to, you know, to come together and, you know, start engaging in social movements. Yeah. And so I remember I did, I did a presentation at a conference at campus and, and it was, man, I know I killed it because that's what I do. But afterwards it was an OG, old black, you know, old black male scholar, you know what I'm saying? From, from one of the hoods in the near Chicago area, I ain't going to say who, I don't want to allude to that. So after I, I did the presentation, man, mind you, I had on the suit with some 13s, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it was the 13s from the 10-23 pack. So you already know for those with sneakerheads, right? <laughs> um, right. Um, then I had on the fitted or whatnot. And so I did my presentation. And after the presentation, uh, the old head come to me. He said, Nino, you, you probably gave the best presentation here today. Too bad you look like you got drafted to the NFL. Oh. And, and if... It fucked me up. Like, what? Like, that put imposter syndrome in me, right? Like, oh, I don't belong, right? And so then I went on this journey of shifting and shifting and shifting. And so I spent my entire graduate journey trying to find me at the same time resist who others were projecting onto me. And the crazy is those who were projecting the most to me were older black men, right? Which was pissing me off. Nah, but you got to give up. Okay. I'm not capping for them. Let's just keep it real. I'm not capping for them. They were. It was. It was well intentioned, right? But, but they're, they're also well intended white people doing exactly. horrible shit. Exactly. So we so, can't ignore the well. Exactly. We can't ignore the well intended black it's, people doing it's, the same it's, thing, it's, right? It's the, it's, they are survivors. They're survivors of a system, and so they think they're putting you on game by teaching you to survive the system, because they've already made their decision. They've made their decision that that shifting the system would would, would take too much energy. Or would be what would put them in jeopardy. So, so it's it's I because like I want to. Part of me wants to be like, man, f that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're goofy. You shouldn't have even came at me that way. But another part of me wants to, don't want to call him out. You know, I told you I just read this. We will not cancel us book, and so it's it's got me thinking about different. It's it's got me questioning how punitive I can be in the way I respond to things, right? But but the other part I want to just give is give that perspective that they're surviving and they think that providing you the tools that they're using to survive is liberatory when really what it is it, right is just like you just set me up to be somebody inauthentic as well i get it now but in the in the midst of the last four or five years you don't fuck i that. wanted to put hands on every single one and it was like <laughs> hey fuck this shit holler at me in the parking lot you know because you talking you talk because i think the thing was it's twofold right it's one the initial approach is let me put you on game young brother right mm-hmm. And then when I'd be like, nah, that's not the move I'm trying to make, then their response was like that of the oppressor to be like, all right, well, if you don't want to get down, then I'm going to start blocking your opportunities. Yeah. And is that where I, re- and, and that's when I realized that now I realize is that I was challenging them to be something that they never figured out. So I was asking questions to answers that they didn't know and it made them feel some type of way. And so I forgive them now. But it, like I said, you know, just last year, there was a couple of them where I was like, look, man, we can we can just go handle this man to man. Ain't nobody got to say shit. Like it's between me and you, right? And man, and man, but, you, and, uh, you, but, and, and you know the system of oppression don't care who turned the switch on. Like they just, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they just know, they just want, you know, the system just wants to switch on. So if it's a black man that turns the switch on, cool, right? If it's, if it's a white man that turns the switch on, the oppressive machine just wants somebody to turn on the switch. So every once in a while, we, we you know, we all have the, the space to oppress and to be oppressed and be agents and targets in that relationship. But go ahead, my bad. No, definitely. I'm glad you pointed that out because I tell people all the time that we all embody both the oppressed and the oppressor if we're not conscious of the ways in which we move. Uh, but so when I graduated, right, I, at that point, I had been convinced that I was a scholar practitioner because, 
you know, that's not a term that's normally used. And those people who identify as scholar practitioners are supposed to be like these uh, rebels and these activists, and they're trying to figure out a new way. And so because of that, I was trying to figure out how to go to acad- academia first and then do the practitioner work. Yeah. Recently, I realized that it started for me at the Boys and Girls Club, right? Mm-hmm. I've always been a practitioner who just happens to be able to be a scholar. And so when I shifted my perspective of who I am from scholar practitioner to practitioner scholar, it completely changed how I was viewing my path. And I was like, oh, this is the wrong path. I'm going to go in this other direction. That's what made me apply for that job, quit my job. And now I know I'm in the right path, right? And the crazy thing is, it wasn't like this complete shift or this 180. It was maybe a 10 degree shift that just put me on the right path. And I'm just grateful, right? Yeah. And so- it's just crazy how that identity piece and that when you said that self exploration, because like we may not know what that is, but it's something inside of you that be like, Hey, this ain't it. Yeah. Right. This ain't, this ain't the woman. This ain't the woman or the man. This ain't the job. Uh, this ain't the apartment. This ain't the car. And, and so as you get to explore and understand self, then you actually know how to interact with self, communicate with self. And now it, the crazy thing about it is even though it's just you, you don't feel like it's you versus the world. You feel like, Hey, I don't know about anybody else, but me and self, who we going to ride out. You know Indeed. what I mean? And, 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 and what I found even in listening to you in that moment, you, you said it was always with me. Cause that's what I keep finding is like the thing that the direction we need to go or the energy that we need to you know go to. when we start talking about that self exploration, the, you'll know your home because the thing is already with you. You sitting here like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. I, I already was a practitioner. I already 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 did this. Um, same thing for me. It's like you know when I'm doing business or building the businesses that I'm building, the work that I'm doing is the stuff that I like to do. Like I I, I, will, I would want to teach. I would want to engage with people. I want to you know uh, I'm about liberation. I want to heal for myself and others. So so it's not like I'm putting on anything. And I think that's what you start realizing that you it ends up being like a perfect fit. So my question to you. And this is a this is a mm-hmm. us type of question. If you're thinking about Jordan toe boxes, what type of comfort did figuring out that you were going the right direction feel like? Was this was this a shallow Jordan one toe box where if your feet are a little wide, it was bite it's gonna bite at your pinky toe, or was this you know what what how what level of shoe comfort did this experience uh, you know what did you experience? You know what? It, I'm gonna tell you what it was. I can't. I can't think about it in terms of the toe box, but I can. I can stay in the same lane, right? Right. It was like knowing that there are certain J's in the collection that I got that was an eleven and a half, mm-hmm. right? And they're not comfortable, but I wanted them because they, I wanted them. Uh, Whether that's they was just fire and I needed them, yes, or I knew other people's had them, so I needed the clout that came with them. Mm-hmm. But it was the realization that 11 and a half isn't comfortable for me. So if I can't get it in a 12, I don't need it. And that just means it ain't, I don't need it. I don't need it. Or if I get it in a 12 at a later date, then that just means I got to pay a little bit more, but I'm not going to sacrifice the 12. So if it ain't a 12, I'm not getting an 11 and a half or I'm not getting a 13 because either way it go, it just didn't fit. Yeah, man. I, uh, when I when I started to realize it's like, hey, what I'm doing right now and how I'm existing and, and being in the world right now feels good to me. It was it was like um, it was Kohan and Wallaby comfort. It, it was like <laughs> it's like it was it's on me, and I'm moving around, but it doesn't feel like there's an addition to me. Hmm. Mm. So if you if you get for the folks out there, if you know what a good pair of Kohans feels like or what a pair of wallabies feel like, it's like you don't have shoes on at times. Cause they're so light, they're so comfortable. And I think that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that lightness, for that space where it's like I I'm comfortable with how I'm presenting in the world and what I'm pursuing. And you know, we don't have the time to talk about it because I, this is why I said it opened so many doors. Unfortunately, a lot of times what dictates black male identity is not just the folks around us that are telling us who to be or what to be. Are you going to be a preacher? Are you going to be a teacher? Are you going to be the athlete? Are you going to be this? Are you going to be that? Sometimes it is our relationship to capitalism and to resource. 
Because when you mm. brought this comment up, it brought up a, a conversation I was having with one of the homies. And one of the homies was like, you know, he's he's in between situations uh, and, you know, is dealing with some things. And he brought up the fact that, you know, one of his significant others that he had, the mother of the significant other kind of felt like you ain't a man if you ain't paying all of the woman you talking mm. to's bills. Mm. And just think about how many of us manhood is connected to finance. Yeah. In our minds. Like we think, you know, manhood is connected to finance. And 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 so if I'm not, if I don't have resource, and if I'm situated in a system that has intentionally tried to place obstacles, you know, in, in between me and having resources. And and it, and it's tried to make a condition of the communities I live in resource insecurity, then I'm walking around never feeling like a man because I'm I'm, in, I'm insecure as it relates to resources, and that's one of the reasons. That's the key. And then that that ends up turning into, and I'm not suggesting this is the only reason why you have like patriarchal beliefs and and like um, patterns with black men and men in general of trying to commodify women's bodies. But that's when you, when you hear the homies rapping and they like, yo, now I got my bag up. I can I can have sex with who I want. I think is I think that's one of the reasons why there is that connection there. Like, why would we ever connect the money in my pocket to who will let me will allow you know will allow me to lay with them, unless we have this this in our brains a connection that I am more manly, and I'm I'm more available with the more resource I have. Or even how about this, right? From a from a simple standpoint, um, manhood is usually they call it the three P's of manhood, right? Can you provide? Mm-hmm. Can you protect? Can you procreate? All three have to do with everyone else. So, at what point do we take the time to determine what does it mean to be a man for me? Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. Just for me, because everything that we do, we're, we're conditioned that everything that we do. And we talk about this all the time is about like that person. Like I even realize now as I'm navigating this space and, and someone will be like, yo, how come you're not, you know, dating like that? And I'm like, man, I don't feel like I'm ready to date until I can do this, this and this for myself, because subconsciously it's like if I can do it for myself, then I'm in a position to do it for somebody else. Right. Yeah. Which affects intimacy which affects your ability to connect and so on and so forth you know um it's funny because i think that i think we don't talk about that enough in terms of just like what does that mean and how does that how does that translate into the various areas of our lives in terms of the careers we choose the cars we drive the shoes we wear you know the clothes you know all of that right shout out out to my cousin dante man we were 16 years old maybe 16 or 18 I i can't remember i know he was teenagers he had a he had a fly ass uh, blue old school because you know St. Louis we love old schools man. so we had a fly ass <laughs> blue old man. school and me and him will ride together and you know you know we have certain cousins I had certain cousins that we spoke the same language right mm-hmm. and so Dante was one of those that I spoke the same language with you know what I mean my, my cousin TJ he was one that I spoke the same language with in some areas of my life and so I'm riding with Dante and mm-hmm. you, and, and we're 16 and we're talking about all these players we know that spending money to look fly and buy gear and and it was 16 thinking like, well, what are they doing it for? And he was like, bro, they doing all that because they think that's going to give them access to women. 16. And I looked at him. I looked at him yeah. like like he was a shaman at that moment because we were kind of in, in, in that conversation we were having. We weren't making fun because we felt we were better than. But we could tell like the thirst was on, like dudes was trying to show off. And we were like, man, you know, we, we having a conversation like, bro, you ain't never left the state like. You want to prove to me you showing off? Let's get let's get on a plane. Let's go somewhere. Let's do some things. And we're having one of those conversations as a kid because we would get together and we would like we would like push each other. Be like, man, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to go out of town. I'm trying to you know. We would talk about like what we wanted to do when we got money, and we mm. we knew people with money because we knew hustlers, and we were like, we don't just want to buy a Cadillac and get a crib and wear a bunch of gold and diamonds to the same old clubs we've been going to since we were 16. We want to experience yeah. things. And so uh, shout out to him because that was one of the first times where I started to think like, man, am I doing this because I want that outward validation or am I doing this because I believe it's going to give me access to women? You know, why am I, why am I pursuing this or am I doing this because I love it and it's a part of who I am and it is authentically a part of who I am. So 
Yeah. I, I, I think it's a, a, a both and. Yeah. But but it's a I love it based on who I think I am, which is heavily influenced by who everyone tells me to be. Yeah. Right. I, like it's funny because I've had some you know women tell me, like man you know I would have never thought that you were the settling down type, and I'm like what. Like, I've been a cake my whole life. Like, you know, for me, not having a family, one of the biggest things I want is to be a great husband, a great father, have a wife, kids, and all of that. I said, but I also grew up from, you know what I'm saying? I grew up from a lineage of men, of womanizers, right? Yeah. And so it was just constantly instilled at me, like, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And I fought and I fought and I fought until I got my heart broken. And I felt like it was in that moment where, like, my, my, my brother, my dad, my granddad, my uncles, like, they hit me with the Mr. Burns exits, right? And, and they unleashed something in me that I knew was there my entire life. And then once it unleashed, it took me down a path that I didn't even want to go down. But it was like, oh, well, if I go down this route, I would never be hurt like this again, right? Which, was, which is... And so- now... But which is such <laughs> bullshit, bro. Because like we 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 get it. It's like they hurt me, so I'm gonna be out on a rampage. Shit. Like I that's how I ended up married, fam. I ended up married because somebody that I was close to, I was that was that was close to, did some things that were just I felt like were violations. Mm-hmm. And so my response was, man, I'm gonna be a hoe. I'm finna, mm-hmm. you know, I've been I've been being too nice. I've been doing everything in the opposite of what my uncles and everybody was telling me to do. I was trying to do it my way and and be respectful mm-hmm. and you know meet people's parents and do it. I was, and then after this time, I just got tired. I was like, I'm trying to be a hoe. And then I went on my hoescapade and tried to start it, and I went on one date into my into my uh, my whole season, and I, I keep dating her. She lives with me now. She's my wife. <laughs> She was she was my first stop where it was like, yo, I'm getting out here. I'm getting in the mix. And I was like, yeah, I kind of want this. I want to stay with this one for a long ass time. But yeah, man, it's BS, man. We always think we're going we gonna to run the score up and it's going to make us feel better and no one's ever going to hurt us again. And that's not how it works. Like, we we, we most likely going to get hurt again. It's just what it is. Man, we be hurt the whole time while we doing it, though, right? Let's call it what it is. Like, we didn't – man, I remember my pops them told me, they said, well, you hurt, the best way to get over one is with another. And if that don't work, with another. And with another. And with another. And, and, and my dumb ass was like, okay, cool. Like, we're going – and one day I looked, and I looked at all of them. Like, I took a step back. Ooh. And I was like – I was like, but ain't none of them happy. Ain't right? none of y'all got like, peace. None but of y'all none got of them peace. Happy. Some of them married, and, and and that's when I realized, like, oh, this is I gotta I gotta choose a different path, right? Yeah. And so it's interesting now because now when I talk to them, now the conversations change, and they like, yo, it's something different, and I'm like, man, I got peace, mm-hmm. and it was like I could tell, what is it? How do you get there, right? That's and, crazy. And I'm like, damn, yo, like, gee, I, I, no, all bush aside, let me finish this one right quick, yeah, right? Got you. Think about how many black males, right? To this day, either are alive or died, regardless of how old they are, and they never knew peace. And yeah. for me, that's why I'm on this hill, black male hill groove, man. Because yeah, that's just crazy. Yeah, you got we got homies, we got homies that's on the other side, and they never understood peace, or they never ever were able to, you know, they they understand it now in the ancestral space. That's my belief, right? But they didn't understand, they didn't get to understand it in, in the earth. They didn't get to understand what it meant to be fully authentically yourself and to be able to walk in the world in such a way that you are at peace with who you are and who you are becoming. And I, I think that is, that's what's crazy. Like when you said that to me, it, it's just, it's so wild to me how we'll look to certain human beings in our lives as experts. And then once we start moving towards our own healing, they'll it'll turn, it'll shift. And they're looking at us like, how did you do that? How how are you doing that? What are you doing? What does that look like, right? And and it's not like you know we some shamans that got all the answers, uh, you know, that folks that are pretending to be holier than thou. We got it all cooked up. It's it's that they can see the pursuit of our healing on us, and they want to know like, yo, how how you getting there? And and I think that's a beautiful thing, and I think that's why we got to keep having these conversations. And so, this is our first stab as black male at black male identity. I'm sure there'll be 60 or 70 more because even while you were talking, <laughs> like I we're gonna we gotta come back and we gotta tackle them three Ps. Cause that three Ps is some full on bullshit. It, it 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 definitely sets us up to only be a portion of who we are. 
And I'm not suggesting that, you know, as a man, you shouldn't be caring about providing for your family, that you shouldn't care about protecting for your family, or that you shouldn't have some consideration of who, who you're procreating with and, who, and the children that you've created. I'm just suggesting that what we've done is we've taken a portion of who we are and we've made it the whole of who we are. So and, how about this, man? Before we wrap, I'm, I'm going to leave us with a little mic drop. Yeah. Think about it like this, right? If society says to be a man, you must provide. Mm-hmm. Well, in order to provide, I need to get a job. In order to get a job, I must have an education. Who is the least educated population in our country? Okay, well, we're going to say men of color. I'm going to yeah. just go with black males. I'm going to bias, right? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So then, when you, when you say that, well, now I have systemically lost one of the P's that you told me I needed to ascertain yeah. in order to be a man. Yeah. So, it's incre- this means that I am more likely to engage and say okay well let me overcompensate for you know protection or procreation which in their words is hyper violent or hypersexual right okay i see where we're going i see where we're going yeah, we got. We'll come back. But we to gonna this. have to tackle that another day. Nah, man. hell nah. Okay, we we, we should even done that to them. <laughs> all right. So as always, we thank you all for listening in on our check in on the Hill Black Man Hill podcast. Um, you know, we appreciate you taking your time to listen as we check in on one another. We encourage you to take those four questions and check in on the men in your life. Check in on those that you love by just asking them, "What are you proud of yourself for this week? What are you learning from your healing journey? Who are you grateful for? And what are you reading?" And we hope that you will come back and listen to our our conversation next week on the Hill Black Man Hill podcast. I'll let y'all. Peace and love.